Flop of the Heap's mission is not to bash, rip, pan, grill, or flambe the Broadway productions we explore. Nor are we here to put performers and other artists down. More importantly, we also recognize that part of the creative process is failure, and believe facing those failures with a critical but genial attitude should be the norm. There can be no success without failure. After all, you can't spell hopeful without flop. Hi. Oh, hello. What, what's up with you? Two, two flights in a row, correct? Oh, yeah. Long travel day, but you know what? I don't care. It's all behind me now, and we're going to talk about Anyone Can Whistle. This is this is different than any other show we've done because it's a Sondheim. Yeah. You know what I just realized? I know this is getting us off topic already. Oh, great. But... <laughs> yeah, I know. Great. <laughs> As if that's not what we always do. Yeah. I just realized when I was in, um, I was driving along the other day, and I was like, we've never done a Rodgers and Hammerstein. No, no, no. And I'm so excited to. Um, yeah. I feel like Pipe Dream is one I'm really excited about because I just recently read Cannery Road. Did I talk about that last time? No, you didn't. Oh, okay. Um, so Unless I fell asleep during it. Uh, the one, the, the backstage one, Allegro. Oh my God. I forgot about Allegro. Yeah, that one. I, do, I need to, I can't wait to dive into those. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, it, the show's different because I mean, I mean, we're talking about Sondheim. He's, I mean, there are a lot of the people that we've done are musical geniuses. We've done a Gershwin for Pete's sake. Yeah. Um, there's something about the show I think that is beloved because it is a Sondheim show, not necessarily because people know the show, but because people, love his music and perhaps have listened to the score and love songs from the score. In fact, this show is the show that what are the, the biggest songs from the show or what everybody says, don't there, there won't be trumpets and anyone can whistle the title song. Mm-hmm. I, oh, oh, also everyone, we have a special guest with us today. Um, uh, uh, an amateur expert perhaps on the musical. I, I can't wait to pick his brain a little bit. Connor McAndrews will be here. Oh my God. I just reached my water without taking off my headphones. That was a feat. What did you do? I just, I had to grab my water and I, I just was, my headphones were just not quite long enough, but I did it. Okay. I, I'm very proud of you. Mm. You are kind of like long, like long. your general form is long. <laughs> Thank you. Like you're not necessarily like super tall, but you're long. I like being long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we Googling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have Googled all night. I could have Googled. So, um, well, welcome. If this is your first episode, welcome to Flop of the Heap. We're going to talk about a musical tonight, a Stephen Sondheim musical, which flopped. What was the opening date? April 4th, 1964. Was the closing date also April 4th, 1964? Nope. It was exactly one week later, April 11th, 1964. So eight performances? Yes. Nine, I think. Okay. Uh, did you find any budget loss? I did not find budget, did you? No, I didn't either. Um, okay. uh, anyone Can Whistle played at the Majestic. Do you want to talk about the Majestic a little? Uh, yeah, it's been home to some of the biggest shows in Broadway history. Carousel, South Pacific, Camelot, The Wiz. Allegro. <laughs> Allegro. Me and Juliet. That's the one I was trying to think of, Me and Juliet. I'm not convinced that's a flop. Oh, maybe it did run a little bit. The Music Man, right? The Music Man. Mm-hmm. Um, a little night music. Oh. My God! And yeah. Now there's now there's some I don't know there's some piece of crap in there called Phantom of the Opera. Oh yes, Phantom has been running there forever since I don't even, 
33 years. Wow. A couple flops played at the Majestic. Mac and Mabel was there. Oh, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, we got to get to that one. Everyone's. Yeah. I've had multiple people ask me when we're getting to that. Uh, let's do it soon. Yeah. Um, I do not have a ton of like, you know, I always have like the fun tour guide information on the mm-hmm. Majestic. I'm sorry, on other theaters. Um, the Majestic, usually, though, I only give like fun little phantom facts because, of course, people want phantom of facts. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, who was the architect? Do you know I'm that? I'm going to stop umming. Marla, you know I cut out all of your ums, right? I cut out of all your ums. <laughs> I cut out all of your ums. Oh, God. You cut out my ums and I cut out your ums. And together we have a flawless podcast <laughs> that makes us sound like rational, sane human beings. Why do you think my TikToks are literally like, I'll say three words and then skip to the next clip? Oh. Like, because <laughs> you're cracking They're up. so choppy. Oh, you're cracking yourself up. And ums everywhere. Uh, Herbert J. Crap was the architect of the building, which, of course, we all could guess. Okay. Um, it just it has such a rich history of, of shows. I mean, a lot of shows ran there a long time, even if they didn't run there their entire run. Um, Fiddler was there for qu- quite a long time. Richard Rogers spent a ton of time in this building. He it was uh, uh, on your toes closed in the bill in the majestic babes in arms ran there. And then basically they would stay there through, well, uh, Hammerstein and Rogers would stay there through Carousel mm-hmm. Allegro, South Pacific, me and Juliet. I mean, it just like, it was a long time to be in one one theater. I wonder if Richard Rogers has a favorite seat in the Majestic or did. Mm. It's like E29 or something was like Richard Rogers' seat. Do you want a fun phantom fact? Fun phantom fact, go. The chandelier. Yes. In the show's, what are we on, 34 years? The show, yes. by the way, I'm only like three days older than the show, something like that. Anyway, the chandelier in its 34 years has traveled to and from the stage something around 850 miles. That's such, I, I'm never like thrilled with numbers like that on a tour because I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) You're on a bus all day. You don't know what miles are. Yeah, 830 miles, I guess. But like, I didn't like have a, Ah, okay, cool. It's like from here to where? <laughs> like from here? Where's here? Where's there? Uh, like maybe cool, like G- Georgia or South South Carolina, maybe. Okay, it's a long it's a long way for a chandelier to travel all the way here to, <laughs> from New York to South Carolina. Okay, other shows running in 1964. Go. Hello, Dolly. Yep. Funny Girl. Yep. Oliver. Huge shows. Hmm. Uh, she Loves Me was also that year. I'm not sure. Do you know if it was open at the same time as Anyone Can Whistle? I don't think so. I think it opened okay. later in the year. That's what I thought. Um, it already closed. Oh, oh thank oh you. Oh, my God. And Connor uh, jumps uh, in early. Oh, my God. Just like taking control. I like that. <laughs> okay. Connor's that. listening. <laughs> well, literally, you know, Connor, on some on some podcasts, like the producer sits by, but you never hear their voice. That's basically who you are because you're our top Patreon member. Well, our first. <laughs> our very first. Should we just introduce Connor now? <laughs> Would we'll now be the time to start? Know, what do you think, Connor? You decide. I mean, sure. It. Why? I mean, I hate to barge in slash. I love you guys. <laughs> I was thinking it was. I was expecting you to laugh, but you probably muted yourself. <laughs> I love everything about the way this just played out. 
<laughs> okay, well, ladies and gents, uh, and uh, those who have yet to make up their minds, our special guest today is uh, Mr. Connor McAndrews, just a wealth of musical theater knowledge and mm -hmm. one of the most delightful and funniest people I know. We met uh, doing shows together in Ocean City with the Ocean City Pops and the theater company. He was the nicely, nicely to my Nathan Detroit. He was the Smee to my hook. Mm -hmm. uh, Connor is a Philadelphia-based actor and singer currently pursuing his MFA in devised theater at the Pig Iron School and UArts. Mm -hmm. um, he's a faithful subscriber to Flop of the Heap, which makes him one of the smartest people in, in the room. <laughs> and you can follow Connor's cooking adventures on Instagram at South Philly Barefoot Contessa, right? Did I, right? Yes, nailed it. Oh, Connor, we got to talk food. I am so excited to be here. You want to talk food? Yeah, we can talk. Yeah, whatever we want to talk about. We can talk about food. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, actually, the, as you know, the two of us usually bullshit a bit. Yeah, which yeah, it's one of my favorite parts is hearing all the, the, all the bullshit back and forth. Um, <laughs> but I'm so thank you both very much for having me on the podcast. I'm delighted. I'm, excited. I, right. I'm yeah. so excited to pick your brain. I am. T I mean, I'm excited to have my brain picked. Wink. Um, <laughs> 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 um, well, now that everyone's here, now that the gang's all here, other shows running at the time, a couple flops, Foxy, starring mm -hmm. our, our pal John Davidson, High Spirits, um, 110 in the Shade was running, but that's not a flop, that ran quite a while, right? Yes. Um, music and Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, book by Arthur Lawrence. Now, wh what else do we know him from for those, of the, for, the, for the layman's at home? Arthur Lawrence wrote the books for Gypsy and West Side Story. Mm -hmm. He directed the original production of La Cajo Fall. Mm. He also directed Anyone Can Whistle. Yes. Now, there's no source material with the show, right, Marla? Uh, not that I knew of. I feel like this is straight from the mind of Arthur Lawrence, I think. Well, maybe that was the mistake. <laughs> well, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Wow, we've nailed it. And that's all the time we have, folks. <laughs> all right, so what's the show most known for? I would say Angela Lansbury's Broadway debut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. I was living with my young children and my husband in Malibu at the time. Uh, this was 1961, I suppose. And one day I received a letter in the mail, a lovely blue envelope, very thin paper. And on the back it said Arthur Lawrence. And I did not know Arthur Lawrence. But he obviously got my address and wrote me a personal letter saying that he and uh, Stephen Sondheim were, had written this musical called Anyone Can Whistle, and they would very much like to uh, hear me sing and would I audition for him. I was absolutely so excited. I can't begin to tell you what a thrill it was for me to receive that letter because it opened the door to something which, of course, uh, fulminated in a huge musical career, which I never would have had if I hadn't been given that gift. Um, that, I mean, right, for being a Sondheim flop, and I guess kind of like known in, in retrospect. For well, being... and for her to do Mame so quickly thereafter, and then eventually to do Mrs. Lovett is, yeah. none of that would have happened if it wasn't for this musical. So this musical had to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the crazy thing is that Hello, Dolly was playing directly across the street at the St. James Theater. Oh, I love oh knowing stuff like that. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, so Jerry Herman saw a performance of Anyone Can Whistle, was like delighted by Angela Lansbury. And so when he was seeking out a mame and like no one was working out. Also, of did you know that Jerry Herman wanted Judy Garland to play mame? Like he mm. wrote it for Judy Garland. 
I did oh. not know that, and I'm so ashamed that I didn't. I, oh. Honestly, you can't hear me like, why are the bugle? Like, <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> God, wouldn't she have been wonderful in MAME? Yeah. Yeah, Angela Lansbury shares some story that, like, Judy came and, like, watched from backstage some night because they thought oh. about maybe putting oh. her in. What? Yeah, it's wacky. Wait, Judy watched Whistle backstage? No, watch Maine one night from backstage. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, this is also how my brain works, and I just hop around. So, like, yeah, Judy was yeah. like, "I won't be watching backstage. This show will not be running." <laughs> uh, okay, now that the ice is broken, mm-hmm. let's do the icebreaker that I had planned for like five minutes ago. Okay. What's everyone's favorite Sondheim show? <gasps> I mean, I. <sighs> Mine's Sunday in the Park. Mm-hmm. Sunday in the park. I, I think I might be into the woods. Yeah. Uh, I think mine's Sweeney Todd. All different answers. I've got a special place in my heart for company. I did it in college. Yeah. God, I I mean, I, no one said uh, Pacific Overtures, I guess. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, you um, know, his, his favorite song that he ever wrote was from Pacific Overtures. Yeah. It was, which, um, which was Someone in a Tree. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Shall we play it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> We could play whatever. The The rules about licensing on podcasts won't be written for another 10 years. Okay, great. Love that. Listen, the shit I can get away with on TikTok is unbelievable, and I get, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. I'm sure I, we're okay well, over here. But, like, yeah. but if any of them go viral, viral, you're going to have to pay for it down the road. <laughs> it'll, it'll be retroactive, I'm sure. <laughs> There's no rules on TikTok. It's the wild, wild west over there. Right, exactly. Without. So Arthur Lawrence not only wrote the book, but directed the show, which is something I was forgetting as I was taking notes on it. Yes. Uh, because that all, that is has been a recipe for disaster in the past. No spoilers, but it might be one now. Who directed West Side Story? Uh, Jerome Robbins directed. Jerome West- Robbins directed <laughs> and choreographed. Yes, Jerome Robbins insistently put on that it's like directed, choreographed, and con- fully conceived by Jerome Lawrence or Jerome Robbins. Jerome Robbins. I yes. gotcha, gotcha. And then he also Arthur Lawrence directed the Gypsy Revivals with Angela Lansbury. Tyne Daly and Patty Lapone. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, with all that name dropping there and out of the way. Yes. <laughs> did anyone read up that Arthur Lawrence was blacklisted? <gasps> did not know that. know that. Yeah. He ended up um, blacklisted because the uh, playwright um, Russell Krauss, just literally he's at dinner or I think it drinks with the army head of radio and just made some offhanded comment about uh, Lawrence's political views and then lawrence got pulled in front of the what was it the house judiciary committee on whatever the hell it was the huac the house on american yes yes yeah i did not know that but it's not surprising gee what a what an awful time i mean we think the trump presidency was insane that was insane yeah for for america to be doing that shit so soon after the second world war it's in it's nuts yeah, he had to flee the country for 18 months. What? Yeah. And then he wrote a lengthy letter that was like, here's all the reasons I'm definitely not a communist. And then they let him back in. When was oh. this though? Like when, do you know when this happened, Marla? I don't have the year written down. Well, this was 64 and those were what? 
late 50s early 60s i don't okay because there is a that like that bit is in the show oh where comptroller soup calls dr hapgood he goes communist yes you would say that yes (laughs) (laughs) it looks like it happened probably around 1950 or so Mm mm-hmm well, as much as I love history, we we can't delve into all the world history. We got to just stick Correct. to what was happening in the majestic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, all right. So, choreography. Choreography. Does Herbert Ross. Herbert Ross. Does that name ring a bell? Yes. Well, he yes. did a million shows, but he mm-hmm. did uh, Kelly. Exactly. That was his next Ugh. project. <laughs> his next project. His next oh God! Project. Oh, <laughs> <my> God. <laughs> I don't know, but. He received the show. He received Anyone Can Whistle's only Tony nomination. Yes, and everybody praised his choreography as outstanding yeah. in this production. So creative, so wacky, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Herbert Ross directed the Steel Magnolias movie. Oh, didn't know oh, that. In fact, mm. yeah, he did. Apparently, he was a monster on set. And that's why all the actors are so well-connected. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> no, nothing brings people together like a common enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, produced by, I think, Kermit Bloomgarten, but a bunch of other people, and then or- orchestrated by Don Walker, which I think is notable because he did so many wonderful orchestrations. Um, now, cast notables, we mentioned Angela Lansbury. Now, she yeah. plays the, there are three main characters. Mm-hmm. She's the mayoress, correct? Correct. Cora Her Hoover name, Hooper. Cora Hoover Hooper. I'm against the term mayoress. I just, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Yes, of course. She's the mayor. I don't know how She's you the mayor. throw your phone against a wall when they got to that part in the simple sequence. <laughs> the simple. I literally texted John last night and I was like, "I, what's going on in this number? Am I not understanding the context? Because I am extremely uncomfortable by multiple things in yeah. this song. Yes, correct. <laughs> well, and that's the that's the thing where if it is satire it's brilliant but if it isn't it's bad yeah yeah um but it was satire it's just that it was a cloudy vision that the audience had of whether what it was at all yeah yeah okay Um, (laughs) so i guess we i mean we could have do an entire episode on angela lansbury herself but um you know, I, I think of her as a Broadway star, but really she's a, she started her career as an MGM star, you know. Mm-hmm. The Manchurian Candidate, that was... That was like two years before this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was nominated for an Oscar. Um, but what, five-time Tony Award winner, Angela Lansbury? I, I, Six I Golden think. Globes and oh an God. Olivier Award on top well, of Well, and most of the world knows her as... Um, uh, Mrs. Potts. Miss Potts. Miss Potts? <laughs> actually, Potts? that that may actually be true. I would say Jessica Fletcher for Murder She Wrote, but that may just be no. It's got to be Mrs. Potts. Yes, she did. She did Murder She Wrote for ten years. Everyone in the nation knows who she is. I mean, but mm-hmm. I mean, the Disney films of the '90s were also enormous. But I, I think a lot of fewer people that aren't into entertainment know the voice the the actor names of voices typically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's yes. It is. Yeah. I I agree. Jessica, Miss Fletcher? Who <laughs> <laughs> can help but notice? Lee Remick? Lee Remick. Now, I know her from a couple movies, but I can't mm-hmm. really place who she is. Um, she was in The Omen. I think it's probably her most famous movie appearance. She's the mm-hmm. mother. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. And she's in that Follies concert from the 80s. She plays Phyllis. 
Oh my God! What? Yeah, with Barbara. That Cotter. just blew that that connection just blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is why we educate the people. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, she's got she has experience, and she went on to win a Tony like in the next year or something for. Ugh, what's the one about the woman that get that gets attacked? Uh, wait, wait until, until dark? dark. Yes. Yeah. Waiting till dark. Wait. Yes. Wait until dark. Wait until dark. Yes. yes. Uh, Lee, uh, so Lee Remick plays the nurse. Her name is yeah. Faye Apple. And then the third is uh, Dr. Hapgood, who was played by Harry Guardino. I don't know much about him. Uh, he had a recurring role of murder, she wrote. Oh, um, <laughs> that's sweet. I, I know, right? Angela Lansbury really looked out for people that she worked with. Because also, like, George Hearn and, like, Len Carrio, like, all those Sweeney Todds had recurring roles on the show. I don't know if I've ever seen them on an episode of Murder, She Wrote. But I haven't seen them all. God, yeah, I mean, there's so much. I started watching it, like from the beginning not that long ago and i'm still only halfway through the second season because they're like they're lengthy years yeah they're full hours i think right there's like 23 episodes in a season and there's like 12 seasons so we did mention the original broadway cast recording because we said we listened to it now that was um uh, produced by goddard lieberson who was president of columbia records at the time and it was recorded the day after they closed so this is rare to even have a you know an original recording of the show it easily could have not been done um, and then now there was an encore's production that some people may be familiar with. Now Donna Murphy was Cora, right? Mm-hmm, correct. And yes. then Sutton Foster was the nurse, and mm-hmm. it was Raul Esparza as the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And we talked about awards. So now I'm introducing our guest. No, just kidding. We did that already. <laughs> um, so, uh, what's the besides Angela Lansbury's debut? Is there anything else we need to get out there before we pick it apart? A couple other like little cast notables like people in the ensemble like harvey evans was in the ensemble of the show who recently passed away who's that harvey evans he was like a broadway like song and dance man he was like the cover for jim dale and barnum he was young buddy in follies he was an ensemble member in west side story and he's in the movie he was in young buddy in the original follies yeah wow uh alan he was was he someone specific or ensemble in uh in any anyway, in, in the ensemble yeah gotcha okay anyone else he was one of the four boys like cora has the four like oh wow cool yeah. he's one of those four that um, sequence reminded me of judy <laughs> very, yeah well well we'll, <laughs> we'll get to inspiration anytime right? the mayor came out she was like followed by four dancing boys a la judy garland <laughs> yes <laughs> um the show also features james frawley who directed the muppet movie <gasps> oh my Ooh. god oh my god I don't know if either of you know that I'm like a huge Muppet fan. Oh, I love them so much. Yeah. Oh, God, I love the Muppets. <laughs> well, wait, there's more. But wait. Arnold Sobolov, who was the original Smee in Peter Pan, so I have a little bit of a thing for him, but he oh. famously died on stage. <gasps> Not in this show, but he- Not in this. What did he die in? He was doing a production of Peter Pan later in his life. As Smee. Yeah, as Smee. And he had a heart attack and like died on stage. Oh. This is more common than people might realize. Well, good actors work until they're dead, right? (laughs) I mean, it's not that unlikely. It isn't. I mean, truly, it's kind of my dream. I hate to be mad. (laughs) I'm starting to think it might be mine. (laughs) (laughs) Your description of David Burns dying on stage, I was like, yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. If you have to go. 70 girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then speaking of a callback, Alan Johnson was in the ensemble and he choreographed Legs Diamond. Oh, Uh, six degrees of flop of the heap. Oh, also the budget. Oh, wait, we have a budget? We have a budget? Hold on, wait, we kind of got a budget. I do. It's $350,000. And that 
today is about $3.1 million. Okay, I take it back. That's awful. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's that's bad. Yeah, that's uh, also maybe a reason why it flopped. It was very tightly budgeted. Now, being that it is a satire, um, we're going to talk about the plot in just a moment, but uh, Ken Mendelbaum, who I we reference a lot, wrote some wonderful books, uh, he described the show as, quote, a satire on conformity and the insanity of the so-called sane. Now, without having read that blurb and listening to the album and then watching the encores recording, I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a problem because I feel like I I am a theater goer. I am a theater aficionado. And it was not clear to me. I'm also completely lost. I'm going to listen so intently when this plot is explained to us because I, I honestly... Okay, so given that you have the the weakest grasp of the plot, I say you give the synopsis, and then Connor and I will follow up with commentary. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, here's... No, because literally the best I can give you... Give it to us in as succinct as you can. Yeah. Okay, there's a town, they make a thing. The thing never goes bad, so they're having economic issues because people don't have to replace it. There's a rock... Someone fakes a miracle where water comes out of it. Someone, the mayor, Angela Lansbury, fakes the miracle. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then Hapgood, who's actually, I think, a patient in the cookie jar, which is an asylum, pretends to be a doctor. And then they release all the crazies and I shouldn't say the crazies. But so before the, you even re- meet Hapgood, you, you, you learn that there's the, a sanitarium in town is their only, the only place doing business. means of income or the, the, the economic engine of this town is the, is the madhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, which is, it's called the cookie jar. It is the symbol. From now on, we're going to say, what's, what are we going to say for the, the patients? The, the cookies. Yeah, they're the cookies. The cookies. They're okay. cookies. They so they so easily crumble is a line from the from the play. <laughs> the cookies in the cookie jar, and you've got the pilgrims. And what do the pilgrims do? Oh. The pilgrims are the residents of the town. Okay. That's what my guess is gonna be. Wait, no, I want Connor to tell me. The pilgrims are the people who come to the miracle rock. But the cookies are also coming to the rock, so they're also pilgrims? That's the crux here. That's the that's a problem that <laughs> that's we don't know. The problem, sure. quote unquote, because Nurse Apple wants the cookies to take the miracle water, but the local government says the cookies can't have the miracle water. They don't deserve it. Only the pilgrims deserve the miracle water. I feel like we should start all over again and have Connor explain it because this is not going well. Because there's so many weird terms you have to try and adjust in your brain. <laughs> It was too it was too smart perhaps for its time but it also is a little flawed. Yes, it's yes, it is both and. Yes. That it's it's so overcomplicated. There are some reviews that that really eloquently put out the overcomplication but like yes, it's very smart. Was it um Moss Hart who has that quote that's like a satire closes on Saturday? Right? <laughs> I remember reading it. I don't remember who it was a attached to a satire closes on saturday yes that's and very, literally very true yes very true um so if you'd like i can take us back to the beginning uh i would like the, the thing you did in like 70 where like we go kind of musical number to musical number and talk about the connecting tissue 
Okay, yes. Be prepared for a three-part episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, God. not like the show, and maybe a reason that the show failed. It's done in three acts. Which is, if I'm just going to do, why did it fail right now? Three acts. <laughs> That's the reason. Has there ever been a successful three act? Uh, didn't Camelot originally have three acts? Am I crazy? Or has three acts? You may be right about that. I don't know. You may be right. But it yeah. felt like it did. Uh, I, um, uh, I think, um, uh, not Let Him Eat Cake, but its predecessor um, of the um, icing. Of the icing. Act, but of that the was icing. of a time when three acts was appropriate. Yes. Yes. I digress. So let can I jump in with a couple details that I think are salient? Absolutely. Okay. I feel like I belong in the cookie jar after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing. I think what they're trying to say is that we're all in the cookie jar. Yes. We're all a little mad. Normal people are a little bit insane. What is normal and what is you know, it's a it's a perfectly it's a perfectly logical um, statement to make in a piece of art. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. Um, the the salient points I was going to make are that Hapgood and Nurse Apple, Sutton Foster and Rollo Sparza, are get romantically involved. Which, if you didn't know that, you pro- may may have guessed. Faye Apple, this like staunch minded, scientific by the book nurse has an alter ego that's a sexy French seductress, mm-hmm. which is a salient point to make because she spends most of the show in that character. What do y'all, speaking of, because she puts on a, a red wig for that, what do y'all think? I'm thinking about getting my hair dyed like a reddish. Anyone into that? Yeah. You look great red. Nice. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Right. You've yeah. never done red before? No. Why would hmm. I have done red before? I, I don't know. feel like you have done your hair red. John, I've been transitioning for like just a little under a year. Like how many? I'm well aware of that, but you've been alive for much longer. (laughs) My hair was blue at one point. Yeah. So why couldn't it have been red? What are you talking about? Okay. Just go. Just. (laughs) It's like, you don't know. I knew you before. I think I'm literally just doing anything I can to divert from this plot. Cause I'm so (laughs) like nervous that I'm not going to understand it. Okay, just so you know, you're 100% a cookie. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, you were, you were trying to make a few points? The right. miracle, by the way, is water from a rock. Yes. Now, I, I think that there's a clarification that needs to be made. I didn't get the impression that the cookies were not allowed to drink the water because they were considered less than the residents. I thought that they were not allowed to drink the water because when you drink the water, miracles occur, and none of them will have their cookie problems any longer. And if and because the miracle is a fraud, everyone will figure that out if they're allowed to drink the water. John, you're such a nurse apple. Wait, is that not what it's about? <laughs> that's literally what it's about, but that's not revealed until the second act. Oh. Literally, Nurse Apple wants to give the cookies the water. The government says no, because the government knows that the cookies aren't going to be healed by the water. Okay, well, in the Encores version, she mentions that as soon as she enters. Yeah. Or like Shub or somebody. Uh, Cora Hoover, Hooper Hoover has... Like all these henchmen, the treasurer of the town and the mayor and the the chief of police or whatever. Uh, So the Encore's script was doctored a little bit to make it a little more comprehensive, like a little more cohesive, a little more comprehensible. That's the word I'm looking for, which was kind of necessary because like... So in the original production, was there a separate 
Pilgrim and Cookie Chorus, because in Encores, they were all played by the same people. I had no clue who they were. Yeah, that's maybe also part of the issue is so like i think the encores version did a really good job of separating the two that all of the pilgrims were people in like drab overcoats and glasses and hats and all the cookies were in like bright colored sweaters and skirts so that they looked different so that when the people drank the miracle water they suddenly were all looked the same because they all had their like bright colors on Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yes. It's too much. There's too many symbols. Pick a symbol. Yes. (laughs) Pick a symbol. It's like, I can't unpack all this. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it has taken years to unpack all these things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, other people did the work. We're going to have to do it in, well, we've got uh, 25 minutes left. Here we go. We'll do our best. Right. She has a, where were we? Sexy French alter ego. But why? Because, so Nurse Apple has intimacy issues, but in this character of, hold on, what's her name? I have it written down. Colette Antoinette Alouette Mistinguette Alphabet de la Valère, the Lady of Lourdes. Um, okay. Who, who is there to inspect the miracle, quote unquote. Okay. Because she goes to find Dr. Hapgood. He immediately knows that she is not actually French because he actually speaks French. And she does not know how to speak French. She can only speak in a French accent and knows a couple of words. Gotcha. Okay. So basically they've been like flirting with each other, getting frisky. And he basically says like, I can't do this with your wig on. And she says, I'm going to need to keep my wig on. And he says, why? And she says, because I created this character when I graduated from nursing school, we had this graduation play and I was a, this sexy French soubrette. I stayed in this character through the opening night party. And I woke up a week later in Cleveland with an intern. (laughs) Oh, I missed that line. Yeah. The second act is really dialogue heavy. Which doesn't help the show at all. Well, it may be because the show was cut so much, but I did think the Encores version really jumped quick into into the Faye Apple character. I didn't get any of her as the nurse. It wasn't enough of her nurseness before she was suddenly sexy f-ing Lola in yeah. you know the dugout. I didn't know why it was happening, except it had been done before. Yeah, you got this weird kind of like contradictory thing there with which when she enters as the nurse, she has this really long monologue that apparently Lee Remick was incredible doing. And then usually they, well, originally they cut There Won't Be Trumpets because she had a monologue and a song and the song felt kind of like superfluous. Given the success of the monologue. Given the success of the monologue. And then after that, Comptroller Schuber, someone is like, get her and lock her away. And so she runs away. And that's why she comes back as a French woman because she's in disguise. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes more sense. Yes. Just barely. Just barely. <laughs> a little more sense. And that's much more clear in the Encores version than it is in the actual script. Did they do a lot of uh, revising for the Encores production? Yeah, there's a lot of like cutting and streamlining that they did. I mean, it's only two acts. So yeah. Yes, that too. They probably um, excised a, a, a quarter of it, I think, is what I heard. Yeah, yeah. like Because, again, there's so much book that happens that's, like, kind of needless. It talks about things that have happened or things that, like, you know, that's a matter of show, don't tell. It's, like, there are moments that they've put into the show in the Encores version that are just, like, talked about in the script. I see. Because uh, last year I was dating a gentleman who, for my birthday, 
got me a copy of Anyone Can Whistle that was published in the 70s. The the script? The libretto? Yeah, like the full libretto, the script oh. and the score. Wow. Wow, you really are into this show. Yeah. Um, look, I, I it was a little bit of a surprise and you really got me with that gift, but it's like reading through it, it's like, yeah, no wonder they cut this down because there's so much like excess dialogue that like the, the second act really truly drags because like it's basically two long scenes with uh, Faye and Hapgood just talking at each other, doing more exposition. And in the middle of it, Cora sings A Parade in Town. Which I thought is a random song. I didn't really understand the point of that song. Just to give to give Angela Lansbury something else to do. That song came about because Angela Lansbury wanted to have lunch with Stephen Sondheim early in the process. And Angela said, like, I just don't feel like the character is very human. I want her to have something that makes her sing from the heart, like something that makes her more relatable. And Sondheim was like, well, you know, the show is, it's a satire. It's a farce. She doesn't have to be a human. And I have a question. Made, yes. When they were singing, there was a parade in town mm-hmm. in the Majestic. Could they hear them singing before the parade passes by across the street? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm going to, I think it's a third show in that year that had a big parade number because you had a parade in town before the parade passes by and don't rain on my parade. Yeah. Either way, after the conversation, Angela Lansbury paused a moment and said, well, Lee has five songs and I have only four. Oh. And so someone oh. wrote a parade in town. Yeah. I thought that song is random. Yeah. But kind of necessary to break up the action. Um, yeah, that's true. But still. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the second act, Dr. Hapgood urges Faye to tear up the letters, to tear up all the cookie documents. Like people's like patient records. So no one knows who's who. Now, what does that represent? Okay, I'm not sure what it represents, but as she does it, there's apparently an incredible ballet that happened downstage that each cookie, as she tore up a piece of paper, joined the dance until it became this giant, eclectic explosion of movement. Oh, that's all missing from Encores. Yes, that's cut. So, okay, the original show had three acts and two ballets? Yeah. What? Yeah. Look, people loved the dance back then. I don't know. Wow. It just seems like if it were meant to be such an art piece, if it were meant to be so avant-garde, mm-hmm. it has so many musical theaterisms in it. Like the funny character names and the the corny jokes. It's just... But that's what people have come to expect at, at the 1960s. Yeah, it almost feels a little bit like The Cradle Will Rock in that yes. way. It's, I thought you're in town constantly throughout the show. That will be a major talking point later on when we get to Can It Work Today? Mm. Uh, the, the fact that it is, because it's a satire, it, it can? No, the fact that you're in town. Yeah, but don't, don't, don't get too, let's not get bogged down in it. We'll get to it later. Yes. So, right. Uh, act three of the Drowsy Chaperone begins with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cora and her henchmen figure out a way to, you know, uh, uh, societally destroy Dr. Hapgood and, and Nurse Apple. Yes, by framing them. I think they decide to say that the miracle, the fake miracle was Hapgood's idea to begin with in order to make everyone hate him and drive him away. Yeah, they're going to stop the miracle. Turn off, yeah, it's like a pump in a rock. So they're going to yes, turn off the exactly. miracle. Yes, the, exactly. The fake miracle is this giant rock that inside there's a big pump. So they're going to stop pumping the water out. Who put, who built this pump? Who who created this thing? Also, we can take one half of a second to talk about the rock because as a matter of scale, 
Okay, there's also this version in the 90s that was done, I think at the time they're calling it like the Gay Men's Health Crisis Fund. That Yes, and Bernadette was in it, right? Yeah, Bernadette Peters and Scott Bakula. And who played Cora? Uh, Madeline Kahn played Cora. Who was oh my God. She's great. It's, and this was fully staged? It was, it's like a concert version. I think it's as staged as the Encores one. But the rock in that is probably the size of like a big watermelon. And then the rock in the Encores version is probably like six or seven feet tall. And the rock should be like a mountain, really. The rock in the original production is like 15 feet tall. It's <laughs> monstrous and it takes up the entire stage. It's not a boulder. It's a rock. <laughs> it's, it's a, a rock. rock. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I mean, when your major set piece is a rock. Yes. Something, why would you invest in it? <laughs> it's... Wait, it's just about as useful. It's more useful than the wicked clock. So I, I don't know. I think it's fine. See? Yeah, but across the street, you know, you're you're you got the Harmonia Gardens, and then, then, then a, the majestic, <laughs> you got a rock. <laughs> um. So once they devise this plan, Cora gets a message from the federal government that if she does not detain the forty nine cookies by sundown, she will be impeached. As mayoress. These are details I missed. Gotcha. Absolutely. Uh, And um, Cora responds by saying, I'd rather die than be dumped. Shub devises a plan and they're just going to lock up 49 people at random. Oh, so they have 49 people and that doesn't matter. Yes. Cora's delighted by the plan and Faye loses her mind. And that's why she sings See What It Gets You when she catches wind. Right. And this is a ballet number two when Cora is singing lock, lock Up the Cookies. Yes, and then it becomes the cookie chase where they're just what is the up. What is the lyric? She's like, if it breathes, it's a cookie. <laughs> if it blinks, it's a cookie. <laughs> if they're human, then they're cookies. If they're human, then they're cookies. The cookie chase is this stunning, like, ballet, like, <laughs> Liebeslieder Waltz sequence. Are they breathing, then they're cookies. Are they living? It's so good. It is quite it is quite good. The sequence yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, but in the middle of that, Faye comes on. So Cora becomes tired and she gives Shub the key to the jail. Faye comes on as her sexy French soubrette and she seduces the key from Shub and yes. she releases all the people who've been captured back into the streets. The ballet ends. Mm-hmm. The ballet ends. The 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 town next door has a new miracle, so everyone goes to see that, and the play ends. Yes, correct. Oh no, the play ends with a real miracle. The plan. So at the end, there's like a new. So like yeah. So Faye and Hapgood have a moment together, and then Hapgood leaves because Hapgood also like has perpetrated other musicals, which is or other musicals, other miracles. <laughs> because look, musicals are miracles, and you just heard it here. No, um, wonder of wonder, musical <laughs> of miracles. <laughs> Dr. Hapgood. Who, as you mentioned early on, is was simply a patient. He was meant to be the 50th patient. Yes. And they, mis- to- they mistook him for like the assistant doctor that was supposed to arrive. Yes, because they introduce Hapgood to Dr. Um, Detmold and say, doctor. And Dr. Detmold says, doctor. And Dr. Hapgood says, doctor. And so they presume they're both doctors. Yes. It's a silly but very fun bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Hapgood also has like perpetrated other false miracles in other towns. He has? Yes. But he didn't perpetrate this yeah. one or this might be his doing? He didn't perpetrate it, but he, he doesn't perpetrate. He, um, I guess, like exacerbates. He helps to like make them come alive, which is kind of what he does with the simple thing. Anyway, he moves on to the next town and leaves Faye behind. The actual doctor who is supposed to be Dr. Hapgood comes on later on and is a woman and Faye's like, okay, cool, whatever. Oh, and oh yes. And she's like a carbon copy of who Faye was in the beginning. Yes. And then at the end, Faye goes back to the rock because she can hear like people singing in the next town and Faye stands on the rock and she actually whistles. And as she whistles, doctor, not Dr. Hapgood. Did we mention that she had had trouble whistling? I think of all the plot points we maybe discussed that was <laughs> Oh my god. All right, start all over. Start Hold right on. We really have to We should do this another night. Oh I god. mean so muddy and so much to deal with. She as she whistles Part of her that's part of her what she she can't take her wig off because she's like insecure about her sexiness or whatever. Yeah, she's insecure so about it's her sexiness. She she because she can't whistle because she's insecure. She can't whistle because not everyone can. Yes, exactly. It's you know, that whole point of what's uh, what's hard is simple, what natural comes hard, right? Is that like you can learn a technical skill, you can learn to build a rocket ship, but you can't learn to whistle if you can't. Is a metaphor for so many things. I could not learn how to build a rocket ship. But- <laughs> <laughs> enough time and enough knowledge, you may be good. Um, it would explode. It probably, but you still. <laughs> um, she stands on the rock. She whistles. Yeah. And then it rains. Yes. As, does it rain? <laughs> <laughs> That's 110 in the shade. That's down the street. It, she, she whistles. Dr. Not Dr. Hapgood comes back. And as they embrace, the rock actually legitimately spouts a giant spout of water. Current. Which rains down on them. Yes. Sure. Okay, so yes, the fountain becomes a fountain, but okay. Oh my god. So many symbols, so many metaphors. Good lord. Okay, I want to get away from this plot, because I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm seasick. Okay, let's talk about the score. Let's talk about the score. Um, yes. uh, This might, this is already almost an hour here. This might be a two-parter. Oh my god. Because <laughs> we haven't even gotten to score, or what went wrong, or critical reception yet. Yeah. If we make it a two-parter... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we can skip an episode? Because I'm going to need a long time to recover from this one. <laughs> That's fine. Yes. I think we should release this in two parts. Where do we break it up? I don't know. We'll figure it out later. All right. We'll figure it out in post. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Follow us on Instagram at Flop of the Heap or email us at show at Flop of the Heap podcast.com to suggest our next flop. Like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to be listening. And please leave us a comment. The Flop of the Heap podcast is researched, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Marla Alpert. And me, John Bowe. Learn more about how you can support our floptastic endeavors by joining us at patreon.com slash flop of the heap podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you too can be a Flop of the Heap podcast supporter. See ya. Bye. What's hard is simple. What's natural comes hard. Maybe you could show me how to let go. Lower my guard. Learn to be.
free.